there is something sordid going on out there. And yes, it is about climate change. It is also in this episode about institutional investors. But let me give you some context first. I am going to read to you a couple of short quotes from Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations. Remember, what I'm going to read you now is him, not me. So here is the Secretary General of the United Nations speaking. Quote number one. Climate activists are sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals, but the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. Investing in new fossil fuels infrastructure is moral and economic madness. That's the first quote. Once again, by the Secretary General of the United Nations. Quote number two. We still see funding for coal and fossil fuels from some of the biggest names in finance, hedge funds, and private equity. Investing in fossil fuels is a dead end, economically and environmentally. No amount of greenwashing or spin can change that. Don't work for climate wreckers. End of quote. Once again, this is Antonio Guterres speaking with the full authority and legitimacy of the United Nations. And my final quote, quote number three, fossil fuel interests are now cynically using the war in Ukraine to try to lock in a high-carbon future. A shift to renewables is crucial to mending our broken global energy mix and offering hope to millions suffering climate impacts today. End of quote number three. You could find these quotes and many more by him on his Twitter feed. These are incredibly powerful words, undoubtedly coming because of a sense of deep concern and even perhaps panic at what's going on around us from the very top of the United Nations establishment by a highly experienced diplomat who was a Portuguese leader before. So that's your context, and all of these quotes are roughly in the past two months. Now let me get back to the sordid bit. In April and May of this year, 2022, shareholders, that is investors, asset managers, pension funds, blocked proposals to accelerate carbon emission reductions at oil and gas producers, pretty much all of them. The investors blocked the proposals at Total, at BP, at Shell, at Occidental Petroleum, at ConocoPhillips, at Chevron, and of course, at ExxonMobil. What is going on, you might wonder? Welcome to episode 62 of the Angry Clean Energy Guy with me, Assad Razouk.
I am so happy you're here. Thank you. Let me give you just a little bit more context. The now famous Paris Agreement is a legally binding international treaty on climate change. It was adopted in 2015, just seven years ago, and then entered into force the following year in 2016. The goal of the Paris Agreement was to limit global warming to two degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. And it was the very first time all nations came together to combat climate change in an organized fashion, after decades of talking about it. How many decades? Five, to be exact. I spoke recently at an event called Stockholm Plus 50. The 50 referred to 50 years since the Stockholm Conference, a UN scientific conference, which is also known as the very first Earth Summit, and which was held in June 1972. That was perhaps the first time that the world adopted a declaration that set out principles for the preservation and enhancement of the environment. It also set out an action plan with recommendations for international environmental action. And one of the things I said at Stockholm Plus 50 is that I very much hope we will not have a Stockholm Plus 70. Enough with the talking. So the Paris Agreement, seven years ago, was really the first time all nations came together with an action plan. Before Paris, panic had begun to set in. Why? Because emissions kept relentlessly rising. And then over time, more and more countries were living climate change. And the agreement in Paris, and I was there and I remember the whole period vividly, came when a fundamental compromise, because that's what it was, was made. And the compromise was that every country would submit a national plan for climate action, but it would be left to its own devices to implement it. So the Paris Agreement doesn't actually have an enforcement mechanism. You can't levy penalties on anybody. And basically, public shaming was about the most powerful enforcement tool available under the Paris Agreement. But having said that, the commitment of so many governments to climate action, plus pressure from public opinion, meant that the Paris Agreement took on a life of its own. And so it became the compliance benchmark, so to speak, against which companies and banks and investors' actions are judged. And aligning with the Paris Agreement became the general rule for being a good corporate citizen. Now, what does aligning with the Paris Climate Agreement mean? Alignment means two things. We've already locked in one and a half degrees Celsius warming above pre-industrialization, and we will actually physically cross this threshold in the next few years, well before 2030. So 
What that means is that the principal consequence of being aligned with the Paris Agreement is zero expansion of fossil fuels extraction. And this was affirmed recently by both the International Energy Agency and the IPCC. Now, the second consequence of the Paris Agreement is that we must, must cut emissions 50% by 2030 and then to zero by 2050. And that's just to have a 50% chance of limiting global warming to 2 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial times. So that's what aligning with the Paris Agreement means. One, zero expansion of fossil fuels, and then two, cut, cut, cut emissions. Now you have to do this without wishful thinking about carbon capture technology, which doesn't work, and other magic solutions like geoengineering, which don't work and won't work and aren't going to happen. Now, of course, investors, asset managers, pension funds, banks, and for that matter, insurance companies and law firms, all very sophisticated institutions, are intimately familiar with the Paris Agreement, at least somewhere within their organization. So they know what it means, and many have made public pronouncements to assure us that they are aligned with the Paris Agreement but their actions completely ignore it. So at the May 2022, which is a few days ago, ExxonMobil shareholder vote, here is what these very same investors did. 72% voted against ExxonMobil reducing emissions. 72%. 90% voted against ExxonMobil telling us what its low-carbon strategy is. 63% don't even want to know how Exxon is going to reduce the plastic it's dumping on all of us. And quite strangely, 73% don't even want Exxon to disclose its political contributions. Now, this is all in the middle of a climate emergency. Here's another example of what investors are doing. At Chevron, a shareholder proposal for the company to adopt medium and long-term emissions reduction targets was rejected by 68%. And another 62% of investors rejected a request to prepare a report on the impact of net zero 2050, so the very same Paris agreement, on the company. Over at Occidental Petroleum, 83%, that's 83% voted against a shareholder resolution asking Oxy to set and disclose quantitative short, medium, and long-term emission reduction targets that are consistent with the Paris Agreement. Instead, if you actually look at what Occidental Petroleum is doing, it put out a net zero plan net zero by 2050, which is fantastical. All of it is entirely reliant on carbon capture technology that doesn't work and only perpetuates their business by allowing them to produce the very same more and more oil and gas that we can't afford. So to summarize, 
somewhere between 60 and 90% of shareholders, i.e. investors, asset managers, pension funds, voted against these companies doing much about aligning themselves with the Paris Agreement that all of them proclaim that they are aligned to. And in some ways, this isn't really surprising. A wonderful survey of British fund managers found that 86% of them called on oil companies to align their businesses with the Paris Agreement. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Almost all the UK fund managers call on oil companies to align their businesses with the climate goals of the Paris Agreement. Now, not only do they not vote for resolutions that would force these companies to do so, but in addition, more than 50% of the very same fund managers have zero policies that will align their own investments with the Paris climate goals. So if you're a fund manager calling on oil companies to do what you're not doing, what's the point exactly? And I'll give you another example. Research into the deforestation activities of 200 major institutional investors, so pretty much the largest 200 in the world, showed that they gave money, they backed companies linked to deforestation, a fundamental driver of climate change, to the tune of $280 billion, billion since the Paris Agreement. So just in seven years, $280 billion. And they did that overwhelmingly without due diligence. That is due diligence to check what's going on in relation to human rights or labor or deforestation impacts. And of course they can, because these institutional investors and banks, and the oil companies for that matter, and their directors, their board members, suffer no adverse consequences. So nobody's going after the directors because they're ignoring deforestation risk and climate risk. And meanwhile, they're making money directly out of climate destruction. I mean, that's exactly what the oil companies are doing. And a far harsher light really should be shown on institutional investors, asset managers, and banks, and what they are actually doing, rather than listening to their rivers, and I mean rivers of words, about climate action. A little more than a week ago, Stuart Kirk, who is still the global head of responsible investing at HSBC's asset management division, went up on a podium and in front of the whole world, literally, because what he said went viral, accused central banks and policymakers of overstating the risks of climate change, and to use his own words, because they are out hyperboling the next guy. And the very title of his presentation was Why Investors Need Not Worry About Climate Risk. 
Now, apparently that presentation was approved by HSBC, but nonetheless, because people were outraged, mostly by the hypocrisy, he was suspended from his job. And as far as I know, he's still suspended today. Also, Stuart Kirk complained about how many times some nut job, his words, told him to worry about climate change and appeared to draw comfort from the fact that stock markets, in his view, are going to just continue to go up even if rising sea levels left major cities, Miami in his example, underwater. And according to Stuart Kirk, you know, once again, the head of responsible investing at HSBC Asset Management, I mean, a title which in and of itself is entertaining given the presentation, also said that growth in the stock market is going to just continue and continue and continue, and we can just ignore any impact climate change may have on GDP growth or stock prices. And then he backs this up by showing a chart about the stock market index increasing over and across two world wars, a financial crisis, and a pandemic. But what he did is in a way super interesting because it showcases two or three fascinating things. The first one is how completely ignorant someone like him is about climate change because his inference is that if stock prices aren't reflected climate risk, then there is no risk from climate change. I bet he didn't stop for a second to think whether stock prices are wrong because they are mispricing or not pricing climate risk. So, yes, we can and we have recovered from World War I and World War II and financial crises and pandemics. But climate change is a completely different category because it's a systemic risk which society could find impossible to reverse if it goes beyond a certain tipping point. And he just kind of, you know, simply missed that. So all Stuart Kurt of HSBC was really saying, but without actually saying it because clearly he didn't understand it, is that markets fail to price climate risk. And that is exactly correct. So instead of saying that we should draw comfort from the fact that stock markets will just magically continue to go up and up forever, he should have said, oh my God, markets are failing to price climate risks. What are we going to do about it? How many trillions are at risk? How can we mitigate that risk? How can we protect our depositors' money? How can we protect the money in our asset management arm? But no, let's just scrap that and replace it with hubris. And finally, Stuart Kirk did us a favor. He exposed exactly what the conversation is at so many banks and investment firms. It's about how to make money right now and take that annual bonus check back home 
this year without any regard whatsoever about the consequences of one's actions or what happens because of climate change tomorrow or even what's happening because of climate change all around us right now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode 62 of the Very Angry Today Clean Energy Guy with me, Asad Razouk, and have a wonderful couple of weeks.